happy monday happy december 28th the daily coast kos staff report written by lauren l-a-u-r-e-n Laran Floyd on December 27th at 11.05 a.m. Pacific Time. Article about the Casey Jr., Casey Goodson Jr. killing in Columbus, Ohio. By the police officer. Deputy Jason Mead. The article says, I hunt people. Quote, I hunt people. It's a great job. Ohio deputy slash pastor brags before killing Casey Goodson Jr. The Ohio Sheriff's deputy who shot and killed 23-year-old Casey Goodson Jr. on December 4th, 2020, was also a pastor who two years earlier bragged to a congregation about being able to, quote, hunt People, close quote, the Columbus Free Press reported and the Washington Post confirmed, quote, I work for the sheriff's office. I hurt people. It's a great job. I love it, close quote. Jason Mead told attendees at a 2018 convention of the Ohio State Association of Free Will Baptists, quote, I worked this job 14 years. You know, I ain't never been hit clean in the face one time. It's a fact. It is. Ain't cause I'm so good. You know why? I learned long ago I gotta throw the first punch. And I learned long ago why I'm justified in throwing the first punch. Don't look up here like Oh, police brutality. People, I hit you. Wish people I hit. You wish you could hit. Trust me. Close quote. That was the deputy sheriff 
by Jason Mead. Goodson was not a suspect or the focus of an investigation, but Mead shot him reportedly for waving a gun from his car. The, F the Franklin County Sheriff's Office alleged in a statement. Local activists, however, are questioning the official account of what happened, relying in part on statements from the victim's family that Goodson was shot three times in the back while carrying a Subway sandwich. He had just returned home from a dentist appointment, the family said. Representative Joyce Beatty of Ohio's 3rd Congressional District has been an outspoken advocate for justice in Goodson's death. When she heard Meade's remarks, she told the Post, quote, That's very different from my religion. Can you equate hit first with shoot first? I don't know, but the fact that he's Boasting about that kind of mindset is very troubling. Close quote. That was the, the Ohio Congressional Representative Joyce B-E-A-T-T-Y Beatty. Continuing, Meade, an Iraqi war veteran who started his work with the sheriff's office in 2003, is a pastor at Rosedale, R-O-S-E-D-A-L-E, Rosedale, free Will Baptist Church, which is about 30 miles west of Columbus. Before launching into the confession of his true belief system, Meade earlier confessed to another Baptist congregation, quote, I'm not politically correct. Do I need to throw that out? Full disclosure, if you're looking for PC, you got the wrong one, close quote.
Meade went on to paint police as David and victims of police brutality as Goliath in a twisted interpretation of the popular biblical story of David and Goliath in which a young man slays the great warrior Goliath with a slingshot and a rock. The story is often used to demonstrate how faith can make the seemingly impossible possible. But Meade's takeaway seemed to be that David won because he took the first shot. His arguments are similar to those he made during an interview with the sheriff's office also in 2018. Quote, There is times for righteous release, Meade said. Quote, That's what I call when we have a use of force. We don't go around looking for it because we don't have to. Plenty of people out there will give you that opportunity so we don't have to be bullies going looking for it. That's why I say it's a righteous release. There is release in our job that righteously we can actually have a use of force, close quote. He went on to say, quote, And I have had people who say, How can you hurt someone? Jesus said, turn the other cheek, and I say, read your Bible. He ain't talking about physically getting slapped in the side of the face. When he's saying that it's in offense to his name, hold on. Am I suffering from crime and criminals in the name of Jesus? Meade added, No, this isn't his namesake, so that's why we take the Bible out of context and we take service out of text. Like you can't be a man and be a Christian? Jesus was the manliest man in the history of mankind. City of Grace Church Pastor 
Michael Young, who counseled members of Goodson's family following his death, condemned Meade's remarks in an interview with the Post. Quote, this is a man who was called to protect and serve, who's talking like that, Young said. He's using the platform of the pulpit to teach and preach things that are contrary to scripture. Close quote. Goodson's death has attracted national attention. Comedian comedian D.L. Hughley commented on initial details released in the case earlier this month on his radio show. Quote, I can tell you that it sounds all too familiar, he said. I can tell you that a young man who had a right to carry a weapon, who was certified to carry one, was murdered by a group of police officers looking for criminals in the area. I can tell you that he was not one of the people that they were looking for. I can tell you that the time of his death, I can tell you that the time of his death, he had a Subway sandwich in his hand and his keys were in the apartment door. So I don't know how exactly a bigger threat you can be with a Subway sandwich in one hand or keys in the other, but I can tell you it sounds familiar, close quote. There's a video, a couple of videos here. Maybe, maybe, just maybe we can get information. Listen to Mead's comments. While we stand, we'll read some, a few verses here. Thanks again for the invitation to come out and preach. I appreciate you reverencing God's holy word as we stand. We're just going to read a few verses. I wouldn't try to uh, think that I'm going to give you anything new today. I'm preaching out of David and uh, the chapter of David and Goliath. Um, for all the preachers in attendance, we saw the hands. There's a bunch of you here, maybe uh, 75 preachers here or something. Uh, somewhere throughout today, you're going to say, I preach on that. I'm paying homage to you today. I appreciate your message. I, I heard it. I used it. How's that sound? So I'm not trying to give you something new is what I'm trying to say, but one thing I would, I would like to, my intent isn't to try to revelate your mind. That's not my job. That's God's. But my intent, if there is an intent, and I promise you there is, is to encourage you today. 
That's my whole purpose here today is by God through his son, Jesus Christ, that you might be a little bit encouraged today. Let's read God's word. We'll start here in the very first verse. Chapter 17, verse number one says, Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Shoko, which belongeth to Judah, and pitched between Shoko and Azekah in Ephestamim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Is that for effect, by the way, since we're talking about Goliath? If it was, that was a good time to do that. And he had a helmet of brass, listen to this, upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants of Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Look at what it says in verse number 11. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, who it says, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. I look at this scripture, and the word of God is very clear whenever it makes Goliath, and the sound man makes Goliath sound giant. The reason why is because he is. And just, just in this description alone, I think it's safe to say this ain't a very fair fight. Can I remind you, you're not in a fair fight today. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for the gathering of the saints. Lord, I pray that you'd anoint my lips just now, honor your word as you told us you would, that it would not go out and return void. Father, I pray that it encourage hearts today. And if there is a soul here that is lost, that does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, Lord, save them. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I think it's fair to say that this is not a fair fight that we're in. And I think it would be a good time to go ahead and clear off a space and park here for a moment and remind you that you're not in a fair fight. I think that this is a perfect depiction of Goliath the giant. It's a great depiction of evil. It's a great depiction of sin. I think it's a great depiction of Satan himself. And I think that we can all agree you don't have to be in the service of the Lord very long at all before you find out this dude don't fight fair. He just don't fight fair. He'll hit you when you ain't looking. He'll hit you when you're down. Now, listen, he'll use the people you love the most against you. Listen, whether you got an amen or not, at least nod your head. Because you know this is true. You know, you don't have to be in the service of the Lord for 30 years. You ain't got to be a preacher. You ain't got to be a singer. Thank God you ain't got to be a pastor to know, hey, he ain't a fair fighter. Let's talk about how fearful and how scared these guys were. First and foremost, remember, if you look back in the pages of God's word, Samuel had went and anointed the king, Saul, as a king of Israel. And just by a 
stature alone we see in the word of God, he was head and shoulders above every man in Israel. So here comes this guy out, challenging the armies of Israel. And the one who's the biggest on their side says, I ain't fighting him. That kind of puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Let me put it into perspective for you. The biggest guy on your team is afraid of the biggest guy on their team. You know what it's going to do for you? It's going to make you a little scared also. All that was there was scared. There was not one that was brave. There was not one that was courageous. Not one. Why? Well, the odds were stacked against them. The man's uh, coat of mail alone by uh, just men that are smarter than me that's done the equation here has found out that the armor that he wears is 150 pounds. But you would think that's a lot. That's about the size of, uh, it's bigger than these boys that's sitting on the front row and they're carrying, he's carrying them around like it's nothing. Well, he ought to. He's nine foot six inches tall. He's a great big man. It tells us that the champion came out. Listen, if he lived nowadays, he'd be the champion of the NBA. Mark that down. At nine foot six, even he couldn't miss underneath the hoop. I see seven footers all the time. Like Kentucky Wildcats got a seven footer right now. I don't understand how he missed a dunk the other night, but he did. He touched the rim by just standing flat-footed underneath it, but he missed it. I bet you Goliath wouldn't miss it. He was a champion, not of basketball, not of football, not of games, not of sports. We find out later on in this chapter, since he's a kid, he's been fighting. What's he a champion of? Hurting. Hurting people. Putting them, hey, putting them in the ground. Killing people. Hey, I don't know about you, but that sounds scary to me. And his mere size alone, we find out later on that he didn't come out just once. He came out day after day after day, over a month of it. You say, I've had some bad days. You ever had 40 days in a row of somebody pulling your man card? You ever had 40 days in a row of somebody punking you out? You ever had 40 days in a row? Listen, some of you go ahead. I'll take you back. I don't mean to bring up repressed memories. But some of you may have got bullied when you was in school. You showed up every day. Somebody picked on you. Don't raise your hand. You embarrass yourself. Ain't you glad you're grown up now? And don't you wish you had one day that you if I could have went back, I'd have settled on the score. I'd have made things right. Amen. Now listen, hold on. We're going somewhere with this. Forty days worth. He's getting punked out. The entire army is. Saul had great battles and had victories over thousands already. The difference is he had a different perspective. Here they were looking and seeing Goliath for who he was. Looks like a problem. We see the problem here, do we not? Can I go out a little bit further and say, I'm not trying to take away from the situation. There was a big, giant problem before them. Can I tell you right now, we've all got problems. If you ain't got a problem, God bless you, you're excused, you don't need this retreat. Praise the Lord. Hey, listen, you need to be the one up here. Amen. Tell me, if you can avoid them and you can show me how to, how, how to never have a problem, I'll sign up right now. I'll take that one. I'm not trying to take away the fact that there are problems, and it ain't fair. But can I tell you, your problem is only as big as your perspective. Because we find out there's a boy that left his dad's house under the orders of his dad. Take some cheese and vittles. I like cheese. When I was over in Iraq, they used to send me chicken and a biscuit crackers and Viany sausages. Don't try and correct me on how to say Viany sausage. That's how you say it. You say it any other way, you're wrong, not me. They used to send me Viany sausage and chicken and a biscuit. I used to listen, I'm going to tell you right now, being on the front lines over there, and I ain't eating the Haji food, that ain't happening. I'm not politically correct. 
I, I need to throw that out. There's full disclosure. If you were looking for PC, you got the wrong one. Amen. Yeah. Because this ain't PC. Yeah, glory to God. Listen. There's nothing better than getting something on the front lines like a care package. Don't try to tell me Jesse didn't have his boys in mind. His boys was at war. I got a dad sitting in the attendance today. That we sat at the table before I left for Iraq. And I laid out my funeral arrangements. I told him exactly how I wanted things done. I did, I'll never forget it. My wife says to me later on, you're so stoic, you never cried. I thought, well, what's the point of crying? I'm not going to be at my funeral like you're going to be at my funeral. <laughs> I wasn't planning on being. Listen, I'll go ahead and let you in on a little secret, too. If you live longer than me and you pass by my casket, I ain't there. Hallelujah. Hey, I believe what he tells us. Tells us. I'll be reunited one day with that body, but that ain't where I am. Well, anyways, every now and then, Dad would send me care packages. I'd get packages from home. Jesse was no different. He knew his boys was in a fight, and he sent them some care packages. But the difference is, it wasn't about the care package. It was about the carrier of the care package. And when he showed up, he had a different view of what was going on. You know what's good about being in the church this day and age? I'm almost 40. I don't care. Age, age is a number to me. I don't care. I ain't, I ain't worried about young boys. My nephew's here. He, he's, a, he's a young boy. He's only 26 years old now. He tells me I'm old and busted, and he's the new hotness. Every now and then, i got to put him in his place. <laughs> I ain't going to be able to do that much longer. Don't tell him. I, you know what I like about the church? Hey, I like being the young guy on the block. At 39 years old, I'm still the young guy that's pastor. Amen, that's the truth. There's younger pastors than me, but there ain't many of them. But you know what I like? I like, see, I was raised in church, and all I've ever heard, and I still hear it, I love hearing it. Oh, they revivals like they used to be. They meetings like they used to be. Used to be a time they'd get together, they'd preach for days on end and weeks on end. We'd have revival after revival and this and that, blah, 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 blah. You know what I told my church one time? I got them back here. They're sitting back here. I told them right, right, right before we get ready for revival. That's what I said. Hey, if you think the best has happened, don't come to my revival. If you say, God, don't move like that no more, no problem. Don't show up. We don't need you here. Folks, like, hey, hey, or if you're going to show up, get up here and make things right with the altar, at the altar first. And maybe you enjoy yourself in revival. You know, folks, it says it ain't like it used to be. They're the ones that needs revived. Because every now and then, I'm glad we got young boys here that you're seeing that your, your dads are paving the way. They're digging wells. They're letting you know that, hey, the best is still yet to come. Praise God. And every now and then, it's good to have a good young man show up with a fresh set of eyes and a fresh new perspective. These men had been beat up all day. They've been already fighting. They've been at war, and for 40 days, this dude keeps coming out, running his mouth, calling out the army of God. They're tired of it. David shows up. He don't like it. He don't like what's been done here. He don't like it one bit whatsoever. He shows up. Look what it says here in verse number. Y'all still got your Bibles open? It's up the book. Stay there. Verse number 21. Look what happens. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, uh, army against army. Look what it said in verse 22. David shows up. They put the battle in array. They're fighting. David shows up. Why'd he show up? To bring the care package, remember? But he shows up and he sees the fight. 
it says here in number 22, David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage, ran into the army, and came and saluted his brother. You know what I like to see some folks do? You show up, you see fighting going on, why don't you leave the carriage and come to fight? I'm a military man. I'm a military man. I show up for church. You know what? I don't see. I don't see the pews and the roads, and it's all nice and neat. The way it's all established and set up in here is nice. It looks orderly. It looks like it's in fashion. When I show up here, you know how I look? I see ranks and columns. I see folks ready to fight. Folks ready to be, do some battle. And whenever I show up and I see that, I'm not looking at the social gathering. I'm looking at rank and file of folks that are set up and covered down in a line, ready to go to war. Do you know why? Well, we're at war. We're at war. I wish folks would show up and see that some fight needs to be done. And the least you can do is lay off your luggage for a little bit. Now, mind you, I ain't talking about don't bring your problems. Don't bring your cares. Don't bring your worries. I can't think of a better place to bring them. I've heard folks even say, hey, you leave your worries at the door when you come to the church. Are you crazy? You got problems? You need to bring them to church. You got cares? Bring them to church. You got worries? Bring them to church. Why wouldn't you? It's the best place to bring them. That's where you leave them. You leave them at the door, guess what's going to be waiting on you when you leave? Problems, cares, and worries. You know why pastors say that? They don't want to deal with your problems, cares, and worries. Why are you at the house of God? Oh, I'm going to scoot. Let me get help over here. It don't seem too good right here for a second. Not you guys in front. You guys are cool. I'm, I'm kidding. Listen. He shows up and he sees the battle in array. He sees an army against army. He sees they're getting ready to fight. I like this effects, by the way. Am I glowing? I feel good. Anyways, listen. We need folks to show up to the fight. We need folks to show up to the fight. We're getting there in a second. We say this is not a fair fight. Does everybody agree? Does anybody disagree? From the perspective. Let's see how fair the fight is. Oh, did you think I thought it was uh, not a fair fight against Israel? I didn't mean to trick you. It is not a fair fight for Goliath. Goliath was terribly outmatched. He was terribly outgunned. Oh, my goodness, was he ever overwhelmed. It started in verse number one. It says whenever they gathered together at the end of verse number one, where does it say that they were? At a festivim, which just by translation means the edge of blood. Hmm. Why is it not a fair fight? Number one, because of his positioning. He had went to the edge of blood, and he couldn't go any further. Very first verse. Before you ever even hear about who the problem is, you know there's already a boundary line set. And he couldn't cross it. Let me ask you this. Who did he hurt? Who did he hit? Who did he strike? Who did he knock down? Because he sure didn't kill a one. Why? He can't cross that bloodline. He can't cross the line. He's at a severe disadvantage because, let me tell you right now, when God sees me, he sees the blood. 
when heaven sees me, they see the blood. But hey, newsflash, when hell sees me, they see the blood. Hey, when the devil sees me, he sees the blood. Why? He knows he cannot penetrate that blood. He can get close as he can. I look at it like electric fence. You ever, I was raised in the country, and we'd get in a big way, run down the hill through the cow pasture, and all of a sudden we'd find that wire fence, that, that just a single wire. Didn't need no more than that. But as a kid, it always come here right here. Ooh. You don't see it when you're running full sprint down the hill, you know, in the grass because it's just that thin little line. I'm pretty sure my neighbors hated me. And, they, you know, you're supposed to put up those little uh, neon markers on the posts. Nod your head, farmers. You know that's the truth. So folks like, little boys like me wouldn't run into them. I'd run into them and then you'd feel that thump. Whoever grabbed an electric fence? Feel it right here, don't you? Thump. And you're like, what was that? But you're still holding on. Uh, you feel that fence? I feel like the devil every now and then. He gets right to the edge and he hits that wire fence and he knows it's coming like, oh no, but he won't let go. He's just a kid like us. Uh, and he gets hit. And he's got to be reminded, oh, back it up. You can't go any further than that. There's a reason why Goliath didn't pursue it any further. I don't mean to take too much time, but no, you got to understand. I may never get to be here again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'll come back anyway. Somebody said, they're going to throw us out of here. I said, they might ask us to leave. Nobody's throwing me out. <laughs> There's a problem there. He went to the edge of the blood as far as he goes. What else is his problem? Look here. David says in verse number 26, he goes, David spake to the men that stood by him because he had already heard the word. Now David's wondering because remember, he's got this fresh perspective and he says these words. David spake to the men that stood by him saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? Look what he says. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Not only did he see his positioning was at the edge of the blood, he saw this one right here. He's not under our promise. He does not have the promise of God. See, when all these people are seeing all this big uh, extravaganza and this big giant and all his array, hey, here he is with the big giant. He got a beam. I'm thinking like, you know, the beam that holds uh, the roof from falling in. That's what this dude's using to kill people with. Big sword, big spear. Hey, his shield's so big a guy goes before him bearing a shield. He's a champion. He looks very, very scary. But when David sees him, David's looking like, what are you, who, him? Him. Hold on to that thought. Because remember, when he sees the problem, the problem's only as big as your perspective. He sees this. Now we see Goliath had a major disadvantage, not just because of his position, but because he doesn't have the promise. You know why? When Again, can I remind you once again, I'm not trying to demean you. I'm not trying to minimize your problem. I'm not trying to act like you ain't got them. We all got them. You're either in a problem, you just come through one, or you're getting ready to go into one. It's just the way it is. That's what, pro that's what life is. We're full of problems. But it's only as big as what we see in our perspective. That's how we have to look at these things. But now listen, his position was at the edge of blood. He was not under the promise. But this is where it gets interesting. Verse number 42. Look, or 
Let's look here. Matter of fact, let's look over verse number 42, and then I'm going to double back on something. When the Philistine looked about, David goes, and he saw David. He disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods. See, he was probably thinking, I'm doing okay up to this point. But now all of a sudden, he just turned this into a God thing. Let me tell you right now, you might be facing a problem. And it might be hard for you to put things into perspective. But eventually, it will turn into a spiritual matter. And it will be very clear to us that this is a spiritual matter. And that it's a God thing. And that's when every single child of God ought to be able to go, Whew, Thank God, I thought I was going to have to deal with that. Uh, you're up. Your turn. I don't know about you, but man, I've had sick kids. I've been through uh, procedure after procedure with my son. He's 11 years old and had five major surgeries. He spent almost uh, three years either in a walker or a wheelchair in his young life. He never complained one single time. Matter of fact, the last time he was going through it, he had tears coming down his face. And he said, Mom, Dad, I know I'm going to cry, but God, I promise you it's worth it. I'm glad we're doing this. I'm glad we're doing this. I look at him like he, he's just my champion. And I've went as far as I can go. The problem has showed up for so long till finally I realize this is a spiritual thing. And that's when I say, I'm tapping out. God, it's on you now. It's on you. And I gladly relinquish control. I gladly relinquish control. Because I got to tell you, can I remind you, this is not an us thing. There is not a problem in life that is an us thing. Every problem that we face, it is a God thing. And God can take care of them all. When we look at this unfair fight from real, true, fresh perspective, David puts it perfect. Look here in verse number uh, 31. He goes, when, he's, when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him, for David. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. You know what he's saying? Don't let anybody here be troubled because of this guy. The fresh perspective shows up and tells the king, there's a lot here. There's a giant army here. There's a great number of people here. And they're all worried. But I'm here to tell you by the authority of God, don't let one of them be troubled. Because of this guy. I'm reminded, I'm going to read this if it's okay. That was rhetorical. Isaiah chapter number 14, verse 20, or excuse me, verse 12. Listen here now. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. This is what the devil said now. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell. It's better. You Listen. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They... Listen now, that see thee shall narrowly look upon you. <laughs> oh my goodness, listen. And consider thee. 
They that are watching are narrowly looking at the devil and considering who he is. Look what it says now. And saying, is this the man that made the earth to tremble? That did shake kingdoms? This, this is the man. <laughs> Some of you are already at the end of it. I'm trying to get the rest of us caught up. What David's trying to say is, King, I've seen his end. I know how it fares for us. I've looked and I've seen he doesn't have that umbrella of protection of the promise of God on him like we have on us. And can I tell you, don't let one be troubled over him. Not over him. Listen, this is what the Bible's trying to tell us. When we get to finally see him for who he really is, we're going to say, that's what kept me up all night. That's what had me wringing my hands. That's what had me so worried. That's what had me looking back over my finances over and over and over again. That's what had me worried when I sent my kids to school. That's what had me worried when I sent my kids to college. These are the things that kept me up all night worrying, wondering, Praying nonstop, scared to death. Him. Him. I believe. I want to add to or take away from the word of God, but I got a feeling we may laugh a little bit. What was I so worried about? What was I so worried about over him? First John 4, 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. The problem is only as big as your perception of the problem. That's what David would teach us here. So, we got to wrap this up. How are we going to do this? This is not to go against the teaching of our fathers. My dad taught me, I got a twin brother, and I got a brother who's just a year older than me, uh, 13 months actually older than me. He's just about triplets, right? That's why you ought, every time you see my mom, you ought to hug her. <laughs> Tell her what a saint she is. We, we grew up, and we was boys, and we was rough boys, and we fought all the time. Not mean fighting, Right? Sorry, Dad. He couldn't see me wing. But we is rough, and he knew that. And he always told us, this is how he said it. Boys, I don't want you starting no fights. That's what he said. Is that what you said, Dad? My perception was, I can't start a fight. So when I went to school or wherever, it didn't matter, church mostly. I'm sorry. I'll tell you, some of my best fights happen at church. I hate to say that. I hate to say that. It's true, though. Everywhere, if Dad go preach the revival somewhere, we found out who the toughest one is at church, wasn't we? Hey, I know. Don't worry. Hey, you all looking at me like, I got whooped asking. I got whipped plenty. Matter of fact, I know your all's churches growing up because I was like, I got whipped there. I got whipped there. I got whipped there. I got whipped everywhere. So this was my perception. Every time something would come up, I'd do this. I'd put my hands on my back or whatever. I'd say, I'm not throwing the first punch. Throw first punch. You throw first punch. 
You know what I mean? Did you, <laughs> did you know that ain't what that meant? If, even though if I had a guy hit, I had it coming. I did. You know, for all the stuff I didn't get in trouble for. He said, don't start fights. My thought was, don't throw the first punch. But the reality is, read on. David goes down and he tells him, you made a God thing, no problem. You come in with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he'll deliver you into my hands today. David steps out and he's like, but I ain't going to throw the first punch. No, he didn't, did he? What does he do? But he put, he put a, a stone in a sling and he took off running. Here's this big, ferocious monster and here comes little David running right at him, slinging his hand and he slings that rock and he puts him down. You know what David did? He threw the first punch. He threw the first punch, didn't he? All this to throw the first punch. You say, what? He, I don't know. Let me tell you something. I'm in, I work for the sheriff's office down in Franklin County, Columbus. I work on a tactical SWAT team. And I also work for the U.S. Marshals Task Force. I hunt people. It's a great job. I love it. Um, I got a bunch of my, my SWAT members here. And even my bosses are here. I appreciate them coming out. They're good men of God. I'm glad they came out to support us today. But that'll let you know. I've worked this job 14 years. You know, I ain't never been hit clean in the face one time. It's a fact. It ain't because I'm so good. I ain't bad, but I ain't because I'm so good. You know why? Because I learned long ago I got to throw the first punch. And I learned long ago why I'm justified in throwing the first punch. Don't look up here like, oh, police brutality. The people I hit, you wish you could hit. Trust me. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Every time I hit them, I'm like, that's for you. That's for, that's for you. It's, just, it's not that bad. It's not, it's not that bad. I'm kidding. But listen, this is the truth. <laughs> this is the truth. <laughs> I learned long ago, there's three things that, has, that happens that justifies me throwing the first punch. Number one, if there's a proclamation. If somebody says they want to fight, guess what? They want to fight. And right here now, we've seen Goliath. He'd been running his mouth for 40 days. I'll ask you, how much longer do they got to keep telling? How much longer has the devil got to keep telling you he wants to fight before you finally realize he's serious, he wants to fight? Throw the first punch. Somebody hit him. Somebody hit the devil he needs hit. If there's a proclamation, what's the next one? Number two, posturing. If they take an aggressive stance, I'm a lefty. They normally don't find out until it's too late. Yeah. If they posture, you better throw a punch because they're getting ready to. Come on. Help me out here. Ha. If they proclaim it, if there's a posture, here's the next one. If they have a past, a history of violence. Or how about this? If they're hitting somebody now, somebody get in there and hit them. We good? Let me explain this to you. Number one, first of all, he is the accuser. He tells us day and night. He accuses the brethren. Day and night, he don't quit. You know what he's saying? He hates us. He wants to fight us. He's trying his best. The Bible tells us he is as a roaring lion, walking about, 
What's that mean? He's posturing, seeking whom he may devour. Can I tell you, if nobody else admit it, he's hit me. He's hit me. He's hurt me. He's brought me as far as to my knees. Can I tell you, you're justified. Somebody throw a punch. Somebody throw a punch. Please, somebody throw a punch. You're justified. Let me explain to you why. I'm wrapping it up with this. I ain't one of the preachers that lies when they say I'm wrapping it up. I'm really wrapping it up. You throw a punch, and the pursuit will follow. Check this out. Here in verse number, I won't mess this up. Let's start here in verse number 51. Therefore, David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof, slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, what did they do? They fled. When they saw the champ went down, they went running. But it don't stop there. And the men of Israel and of Judah, what's that mean? The free will Baptists. And even those that ain't. Both denominations, all denominations. Come on. You want unity? They arose. This is going to bother some of you. And shouted. <laughs> and pursued the Philistines. Anybody want to put the devil on the run? Favorite, hey, my favorite part is when the devil gets put on the run. And let me tell you why. Look what keeps going. They pursued. The men of Israel shouted, pursued the Philistines until they come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sha'a-Raim, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And look what it says in verse 53. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. Let me tell you what this means. Don't just wrap it up. You don't want to preach preacher close the Bible. It's over, right? I mean, in our church, it means we got about 15 more minutes. I'm kidding. The punch was thrown. The damage was dealt. The champion fell. The enemy ran. Now this army is full of courage. They're reminded of the promise. They're reminded of the anointing. They're reminded there's a God in heaven. They're reminded that there is victory in Jesus. They run after them and they chase them off. Yes, praise the Lord. Then they spoiled their tents. What are we saying? Somebody needs a punch today. Somebody needs to throw the first punch. David was the first one to do it, and then what happened? Everybody followed. I tell you, it's contagious. One of my SWAT guys throws a punch, I got to throw one in too. It's the truth. We have this little saying, hey, if you're going to get in trouble, I'm going to get in trouble too. You get days off, I get days off too, we'll make a vacation out of it. <laughs> I mean it too. They know I mean it. Because <laughs> the best part about it is, if you run them off, on your way back, you're going to pick up all the spoils. The hardest part about it is somebody needs to make the first move. Somebody's got to throw the first punch. And as soon as that punch is thrown, everybody's going to say, oh, that looks fun. That looks good. He's got his enemy down. 
I want to go after mine too. Every single one of us has got a problem or every single one of us is sitting next to somebody who's got a problem and they need help. David didn't fight the army. He just fought one. The rest of them pursued. And the reason why was because once they ran them off, they started picking up spoils. What does that mean? You come up here and you give the punch to the problem. You punch him right in his face. You run him away. And when you get up, I promise you, God will pour out spoils. You will pick up things on your way back. Shiny little trophies. Keepsakes to remind you the day you got to punch the devil. Stand across the building. Don't get a song because singers, you need to punch the devil today. Don't get, hey, listen, if you're playing instruments today, you need to punch the devil today. We don't need songs to sway our hearts. This is my thought. I come out here for a dozen years, and it seems like Friday's the crescendo. Friday's the climax. You know what I'd like to ask you? What are you waiting until Friday for? Why are we waiting until Friday to have victory? Here's what I would say as an invitation to all in attendance. If you want to punch the devil, why don't you come punch him right now? Praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we're almost out of time. Thank you for listening. And I heard enough. If I was on the jury, I would definitely ask for all of this man's personnel records. And if you check out the companion podcast to this show, the other podcast is Get Your Last chat on with Su Yang, you'll hear uh, at least one, maybe two other episodes on this particular deputy, uh, Mead, Jason Mead, Michael Jason Mead, who shot and killed a young African-American man in uh, Columbus, Ohio early in December and the man shot him three times in the back and uh, he was not the man he was looking for he had the wrong person so um, I heard enough when he started using a racial slur against um, people and he was using the term haji. He said he wouldn't eat haji food when he was in the Iraq war. He wouldn't eat haji food. I knew what he was saying then. He turned my stomach then. And then when I listened to the rest of him, the rest of his so-called preaching, he, in my opinion, has no business preaching to anyone. And um, 
I think when the attorney, when the dead man's attorney or their family attorney gets this uh, recording, this this uh, officer will never, he'll never practice uh, or he'll never be a police officer or a deputy sheriff again because this is enough evidence right here when a jury hears this right here and sees his personnel records. He may not be convicted of murder, but he will be charged with something. He was already fired by the chief of the Franklin, uh, Columbus is in Franklin County, but the chief Quinlan fired this man or recommended that the, uh, whoever the person that signs off today, they'll make their decision. But I'm sure that this man will be fired. The way he's bragging about uh, hunting down people, the way he uh, just runs his, I'll just say it point blank, the way he runs his big mouth. There he is supposed to be a man of God, a preacher, but he's bragging about hunting people and killing people and encouraging violence and preaching violence under the uh, authority of his God. Everything he said was totally against the Bible. He's uh, full of hatred and uh, bigotry and bias against people's religion and their race. And I, uh, I will follow this story. So listen to uh, the other episodes. Listen to both podcasts because you're going to hear more about this uh, Jason Mead or sometimes he's called Michael. Jason Mead, he's been uh, terminated on paper. It's not official. He was sent home, told to uh, turn in his badge and his gun. And um, he's, uh, I'm sure he's he's done. His job is over. It's a shame people like this are out here just killing people. He explained it right there. He's not going to wait till he finds who he's looking for. He's just going to gun down someone to send a message to the people that he wants to intimidate. He's killing innocent people to intimidate the people that he can't find. That's not the way you do law enforcement in this country. So um, his day will come. He'll have his day in court. And the, he'll, his day will come. He'll hear the jury say what they have to say in court. Thank you for listening. 
Stay safe. Be careful.